Welcome to this podcast number 17 in the series of Thrive London Good Thinking podcasts. My name's Tracy Parr, and I'm Director of Transformation for Good Thinking, London's digital mental well-being service. Today, our psychiatrist for Good Thinking, Dr. Richard Graham, is in discussion with Myrie Underwood, who's the head of community at the student room. She's going to be talking about supporting students through coronavirus. Between the ages of 14 and 25, most young people invest more of themselves in education than anything else. Here, Richard and Myrie discuss what happens when the reward for that suddenly becomes uncertain. The impact of coronavirus on students has been significant, as a huge part of their culture and structure suddenly disappeared when education settings mainly shut their doors. Myrie shares how the Student Room, the UK's largest online student community, is supporting young people to connect and support each other through this uncertainty, with a focus on maintaining hope that things will get better. Over to you, Richard and Myrie. Thank you, Tracy, and thank you, Myrie, for being able to give us your time today. Thank you very much for having me. I guess a lot of people are very aware at the moment that during the coronavirus pandemic, the impact on students has been substantial. Like schools, universities have closed, are are delivering their education remotely. Students can find themselves in all sorts of complex situations. And one of the places that we know they've turned to is the student room. Could you tell us a bit about the student room, which I guess many people have heard of, but they probably don't know how big it is. Yeah, certainly. So the Student Room is actually the UK's largest online student community. We get around 10 million visits a month, so it's quite large. We do focus around 14 years to 24 years of age. We find a lot of those are clustered around the year 13 kind of age bracket, but we kind of cater to that whole student journey from year 10 kind of GCSE coming into and then also into postgrad as well. And we are probably best known for our education side of things. So we're a forum-based site. We see lots and lots of peer support in the forums from young people themselves. But we also complement that with working with people like universities, for example, working with different organisations and experts within the sector to kind of get that authoritative advice to students as well and complement with that peer support that they give to each other. But we also do have a non-education side of our site as well, which actually makes up a huge proportion of the conversation on the site and of the traffic that we get to the site. And that is what we refer to as life around learning. So everything to do with kind of being a student that isn't necessarily studying or applying to uni or looking into career prospects. It's kind of everything from mental health to debate and current affairs to books and movies to just kind of chatting and having a bit of a sense of community as well and kind of a bit of fun too. So it's quite broad, our remit really. That sounds like a really great resource for young people because I guess those friendships or relationships that people make through the student room could almost accompany you, as you say, from GCSEs right through to the point of leaving university. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I had one of our community managers who's actually recently moved on. She was saying to me kind of when she was preparing to say her goodbyes to people that there were people on the site and indeed volunteers of ours on the site that she had seen come in as GCSE students and now they're out in the world of work and she's kind of seen them progress throughout that whole stage in their life. So it's quite amazing getting to see that, but certainly kind of the friendships that we see forming on the forums are pretty incredible. And, you know, they are definitely long lasting for a lot of people. There are a huge amount of people who visit TSR who might never post. Um, Our guest audience is very large, as is quite normal for forum sites. 
So it's the conversation and the relationships that happen on the forums, but it's also kind of the value of the advice that is given and shared that people will read and view and take away from that as well. So kind of the conversations are immediately beneficial to those that are having them, but are also incredibly beneficial in a long-term sense and a wide-reaching sense for all those people that visit our forums who read those conversations. So people can sort of connect to the information and advice from, as we often say in health, people like me who know exactly what the issues are at that time of life, but you don't have to sort of jump in and engage. You can just visit and learn all sorts of things that will help you. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the time what we see on TSR, to be honest, and one of the reasons I think that that TSR is such a large community and still so needed within the student community is that it's reassurance, I think, more than a lot of other things. Students can get information from lots of different sources, but I think the reason that they come together on TSR so often and in such numbers is basically we all have that kind of need to feel like we belong, to feel like we're normal, to feel like the questions we have are questions that other people have had also. And I think, you know, when you come on and you see a huge community full of people asking those same questions, you know that you aren't alone and you know that there are people who have been in that situation before you who are there to support you. Obviously, in coronavirus world, it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily that any of us have been in this situation before. But I think kind of that sense of reassurance in experiencing this together is definitely something that we still see on the forums at the moment. I think that's absolutely spot on. And it also strikes me that one of the fantastic things about digital and community is wherever you go, as long as you've got the internet connection and a device, you know, you can keep that support, can't you? You can keep those connections with people, find out that information. And it's a constant in a world at the moment that is changing fast for everyone. Yeah, and it sounds very strange to say in the middle of a global pandemic, but it's been a real pleasure to see the resource that we work on in our jobs kind of normally. And we see that level of support during kind of you know normal times, I'd say in inverted commas. And at the moment, we kind of see it really coming into its own in a way that I don't think we expected that it ever would need to. You know, none of us thought we would end up in this situation, but it's amazing to see something that, You know, we've always felt so passionately about this community and it's wonderful to see how able it is to support young people at this time and indeed teachers and parents as well. Although our community is predominantly directed at students, we see a lot of teachers and parents coming onto the community looking for that support for those young people in their lives as well. Right. So you've got, as you say, parents, educators as well, recognising that that peer support, I guess especially at this time, could be immensely helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially where a lot of the traditional systems that are in place in the real world that bring students together and that bring support to students aren't able to operate in a normal way at the moment. For example, a school structure where there are teachers, where there are potentially counsellors, where there are those constant points of contact that doesn't exist in the same way right now. So where there are things like the student room that can kind of be a source of connection in this time where that is quite difficult, I think is really important. And it makes me really glad to be able to work on something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you started to touch on something so important, really, which is the changes that students are having to adapt to, cope with during the coronavirus pandemic. And I guess one of the ones perhaps you've said implicitly so far that could be a challenge is the issue of loneliness. But tell us a bit about what the student room has been noticing over the course of the pandemic. Obviously, a whole lot has changed for students lately. I want to talk specifically in a minute about the mental health side of that, but I think just as kind of a general point, 
I think students are in a very unique situation within this very unique situation for everyone, because for them, their lives have been, you know, much shorter than adults, for example. So while this might be a moment in time for them, this moment in time takes up a significant portion of their lives because they are quite young. So the the impact of this is really significant. And it's also the fact that culturally within the UK, certainly, and, you know, most Western cultures, the education system is the thing that takes up the most of their time, really, in their day-to-day lives. That is the thing that they do every day that is kind of structure for them. And it's, it's a thing, like, for example, exams, it's a thing that as a society we've taught students is the most important thing. It's the key to their future, you know, it's all of that sort of stuff. And, and very suddenly that's all kind of disappeared. And while that is the case for a lot of adults also, I think it's interesting to think about from a student point of view, all these things that we taught young people are so important are suddenly shifting completely beneath their feet. So that sense of uncertainty and of kind of being displaced, I think, is potentially quite magnified for students at the moment in a way that I haven't seen really openly discussed as of yet. And I'm sure it will come out at some point. So I think students in particular are experiencing something very significant in this environment and especially those students who are from diverse backgrounds and disadvantaged backgrounds in particular. So what we started noticing on the student room uh, as soon as the announcements started being made by the government about schools closing and about exams being cancelled was a real significant increase, obviously and unsurprisingly, in anxiety and worry and stress What we also noticed was peaks around conversations about suicide, which is something that we do see regularly on the forums. It's not that it's uncommon. We might get, for example, a couple a day and we have systems in place to manage those conversations. But we were seeing spikes in those conversations. So, for example, in the week after the announcement of schools closing and exam cancellations on the 18th of March, we saw an increase in those suicide-based posts. So that's young people talking about suicidal thoughts or ideation or intention, I should say. And that was up 127% compared to the same week last year. And it was up 31% compared to the week immediately before the announcement was made. So that was really concerning to us. And one of the first things we did actually was pick up the phone to our friends at Papyrus Prevention of Youth Suicide. They're a charity who works specifically around youth suicide prevention and have been working with them very closely since then. But we continue to see this real peak in conversations around mental health. Across the board, we were seeing kind of 300 posts every day about anxiety, stress or worry. And we were seeing our mental health forum was busier than it had been before. I think it was yesterday I was having a look and we've got 3,000 individual posts in our mental health forum on its own since the 16th of March, which is about 25% more than we would have seen in the same period last year. So what we did was we knew there was kind of this peak in the worry and in the stress and, and it's, you know, quite understandable and is kind of experienced in lots of groups of people at the moment. So we decided we wanted to find out what were the actual factors that were influencing the mental health of young people right now. We know they're worried, but what are the things that are worrying them the most right now? So we presented 11 options and they could select as many as they liked. And we saw very clearly that lack of purpose and routine 
and uncertainty around my education were the top two options quite significantly and almost kind of to the same level. So of the 11 options, both of those had about 15% representation. We also saw significant concern around future career prospects, loneliness, lack of real life entertainment as well, and concerns about myself or my loved ones getting ill. There were a lot of other ones there also that did get kind of, that all of them got lots of votes. And we ended up with about 4,500 individual votes in that poll. And that's in about a week. So it's something that is obviously very important to young people right now. I guess what strikes me about that, that must be incredibly supportive for your community, is the fact that there is someone listening, that if people are really struggling, you've got something in place to support them with perhaps papyrus. And then even through your research, through your survey, you're interested in understanding how they are, what they're feeling, and I guess implicit in that is in wanting to think of ways of supporting them better. So it, it must have been, you know, one of the places where so many people around us were kind of dizzy with the uncertainty of what we were struggling with. And there is this place, the student room, where they could turn to and they knew somebody would be listening. Yeah, and I think that's the point on listening is a really important one. We see interesting trends all the time around kind of what's happening in society generally. But I suppose what's been interesting from our perspective is very often the education side of our site is quite cyclical. It makes sense. There are similar worries every year. We know we can anticipate what young people are going to be worrying about and when and kind of how we support them. The life around learning side of the site very rarely has any kind of, I suppose, trend to it where we can predict, for example, mental health peaks and things like that. There's very rarely events that are so massive where we can track this kind of mental health engagement and worry. And so it's been really interesting to be tracking it over the past six weeks or so and kind of seeing those peaks and troughs and also listening to what's changing for young people in terms of what they're worrying about. Although kind of uncertainty around education and lack of purpose and routine are so important, something else that we're starting to see and that I definitely hadn't anticipated is further peaks in terms of those suicide-based posts again, where it's no longer related to those government announcements and those kind of really big um, societal changes. It seems to be more related to, you know, the worries that those young people have are worries that we would see quite regularly normally. So those kind of existing worries haven't gone away. But we're also seeing things around specifically managing relationships. So romantic relationships, being locked down together, being locked down apart, but also those familial relationships. So kind of managing tensions if you're locked down with parents or with siblings and that managing those relationships can be really challenging for young people. And I think indeed for a lot of people right now. I think that's what we've been picking up in our work with Partnership for Young London at Good Thinking, which is that whether it's actually being physically sort of there with your family, living together more than you would have been, or even the sheer amount of contact you have via Zoom or other platforms, it's kind of tipped the balance in a way, away from that experience of life as being more with your peers of the same age, at university or even outside during holidays, to actually being stuck more as if you're younger again. 
I think it's interesting thinking about that as if being younger again. Certainly, you know, as you say, with that lack of social contact for those younger students that do live with parents normally, but are less able to get out and see their peers. But also for university students who have come home and they're on lockdown with their parents. And I guess usually the only time they would be doing that normally is during holidays and things like that. It's definitely changed things in that sense. I read something interesting the other day that was speaking about loneliness and that there had been a survey that had suggested that young people are actually one of the age groups that are the most likely to experience loneliness or to talk about experiencing loneliness. And I think that's a really interesting point at the moment. You know, we have people in our forum and indeed our volunteers who are isolated at uni at the moment in halls and so they are literally alone. But we also, you know, we see people on the forums talking about feeling lonely and they're surrounded by their family. So it's not that you are physically alone. I think we're seeing young people who are kind of struggling to make those personal connections and looking for ways to be able to do that. And as you say, kind of things like Zoom and WhatsApp calls and house party are great. And I'm personally very grateful that we have them. But at the same time, there's something different in that, isn't there, compared to their normal real life interactions? Yeah, I think so. I think we've picked up that for some people that can actually bring them closer together because they potentially more time and greater flexibility. But for others, they are missing that offline meetup experience of being in the presence of your friends, doing things together in a space that no matter how great the tech, can't quite bridge that yet. I want to go back, though, to I think something that you were saying earlier that strikes me as a really important point. I mean, I guess when we look at young people and students as well, they kind of are the future of our culture, our our societies, that we invest in them in all sorts of ways. But they themselves invest in education pretty much up until this point in their life, I guess, when they're on the student room. And that could be in terms of using their talents and intelligence, or it could be emotionally investing in the hopes and dreams they have. And of course, the rather more thorny issue of they will be investing financially as well, often with loans. And it seems to me that If all that is sort of then in question and uncertain, there's a real need to somehow help support them and give them hope that there will be another side of one shape or form. And I just wondered whether you've learned anything from your community members or staff about kind of how we can support students because they really just invest so much in that education, that future. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I don't have the answer, unfortunately, to how we come out of this, you know. (laughs) No, you tell us. That's why we were doing this podcast. (laughs) I wish I did. That'd be great. (laughs) But I think my personal feeling is that the best thing we can do for all of us right now is to try and maintain the hope that things will be better. And they will. It won't always be this way. And my hope is that a lot of the things that have happened recently and a lot of things we're seeing at the moment may lead to further conversations about how systems can be improved from what they were pre-coronavirus to, you know, make things even better post-coronavirus. What we're seeing on the forums is that peer support and knowing that you're not alone in the thing that you're experiencing is something that is giving a huge amount of support to people. And I often think speaking to people who are not your immediate contacts necessarily because so I used to be a secondary school teacher and a phenomena that I always thought was interesting was when you can tell your students something and it might go in one ear and out the other and you might have told them a million times but for whatever reason 
you get a guest speaker in, they say basically the same thing and the students are like, this is a revelation. <laughs> it's magical. <laughs> just needed like someone else to say it. <laughs> but I sometimes think that that kind of phenomena happens to us all when, you know, for example, your parents could have told you something time and time again, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. But you hear that from maybe someone who is a stranger who you've connected with on the forum and you, you know, share what your concern is or you ask them a question and they're able to give you a level of reassurance because you know they're coming at it from kind of an objective point of view and they're kind of sharing that experience with you as someone who isn't part of your kind of existing close circle. I think that kind of expanded conversation can be really helpful in terms of putting things into perspective and kind of getting to hear what other people outside your bubble are experiencing right now and kind of taking and learning from that hope as well. We're also seeing huge amounts of young people, especially from a mental health perspective, talking about the things they're doing to kind of manage their mental health because what we have on the forum is a community of people who, so for example, in our mental health forum, there's a community of people in there who are in there most days. They chat quite a lot. Some treat it a little bit like a blog and we sort of see them supporting each other on a day-to-day basis anyway. They're quite a close-knit community. And then you also see people coming in who are new to the community or who just want to post, ask a question and then leave again. And you see kind of in that mix of people, you know, some people who are very used to, who potentially have existing mental health conditions, they're very used to finding ways to manage that mental health concern They're used to having to find the hope. They're used to having to manage feelings that are challenging. It's interesting to see those people who have had exposure to really difficult circumstances before are really kind of offering advice to those people who maybe are experiencing these kinds of feelings for the first time or who aren't as practiced and don't have kind of the resources and toolkit that other members of the community might already have. So it's really wonderful to see that peer support happening in terms of really tangible mental health kind of tips and tricks that you can use to really help yourself in this time. And I think getting that from peers, I think authoritative and trusted advice is needed, but I also think peer advice is equally needed. I quite agree. I think the social proof of hearing something from someone who has that lived experience, and I guess also that experience of the journey to recovery, it's a bit of a clumsy term, but they know where you might be in a journey, what can help, what can't. And as you say, that is the genius of peer support, that you can hear something you may have heard a thousand times that does work, it is right, but hearing it from somebody who's actually used it in the same way that you're feeling now, yeah, priceless. Yeah, definitely. So I guess what's also wonderful about working with students is it is a time of life where there is so much change. And of course, what's hard for students at the moment is they're already in a very turbulent state because that's what student life is. So much is changing, so much expectation. And then there's this huge uncertainty and burden of doubt on top of all of that. But they are still at that point in life where things can change rapidly. You can go from darkness to light, whatever the the terms might be, really very rapidly. And I presume they're doing that for each other and One day a person is struggling and the next day they're brighter and helping others. Yeah, yeah. One of the really lovely things to see in, you know, in a world where we don't have all the answers right now, we don't know even what's going to be decided next week in terms of what our social experience is going to be for the foreseeable future. Something that 
kind of remains consistent is that virtuous circle of you get helped, you help someone, you get helped, you help someone. And we see it happening all the time. And something that I think is really remarkable about this generation of young people is that from what I see on the forums every day, they're so engaged, they're so savvy, they're asking really pertinent questions of the government, of the decision makers in their lives. They want to kind of do everything that they can to position themselves in the best way to be able to kind of lead the life that they want, even in this difficult time. I have a a really hated phrase that gets used to describe this generation sometimes. It's Generation Snowflake. And it's a little kind of pet hate of mine because it's just not at all kind of what we see in this generation. And I think the resilience that this group are already showing and that they will continue to show in the face of some really serious adversity is really impressive. And the more that we can do to support them and to build them up, and obviously we're all experiencing our own challenges right now, but kind of for this group of students who are so, as you say, at such a pivotal time in their lives already, the more that we can kind of support them to springboard toward that future that they want, I think will be a really positive thing. Yeah, and I think you're raising a point that I've often noticed, which is the people who are likely to throw around terms like snowflake are not really towards the beginning of their life and perhaps a little (laughs) embittered. And we have to protect young people from the envious eyes of people who may have less of a future. But it does sound absolutely terrific that the members of your community are holding on to their values because we know that is one of the things that can really sustain you through uncertain times, that what's important, what you value, you hold on to and tightly. Yeah, definitely. I think if we can take some of that positivity that we see from young people and that, um, like colleagues of mine who have young kids especially, not that that's the student room audience, but I think it's interesting to see, you know, young kids who kind of aren't involved in the news. They don't really kind of connect with the big picture of what's going on right now and their ability to just kind of crack on, go outside and into their garden as approved exercise um, to kind of play games and, you know, can kind of keep that positivity and that joy and bring joy to people around them. I think we see in the young people in our forums kind of that same like they know what's going on in the world around them. They're very aware because it's affecting them so directly, but their real desire to continue on and to continue building that positive future for themselves, I think is really inspirational. And I think that we can kind of all learn from that. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. I think to be around someone who's enjoying whatever they're doing with enthusiasm is infectious. And that's something else we should be spreading. Well, I have to say at this point, Mary, we normally turn towards a part of the podcast that is a bit lighter, sometimes leads to enthusiasm in at least one of the people speaking. (laughs) But it's also a bit of a challenge, I fear, on this occasion, because, Mary, I am going to actually ask you for some answers this time. (laughs) (laughs) Won't be able to tolerate too much vagueness. (laughs) So... What we'd like to ask you now is a few questions that would help the listener get to know you a bit better. Perhaps even some of the members of your community may listen in at some point and enjoy this. (laughs) We're wanting to roll back to that time before lockdown, where you might have a little bit of time to think about where you might be and who you may want to be with. 
if you could take three famous people or celebrities, prominent people into lockdown with you, who would you have taken? I really like these questions. I really, I really had to think about them. <laughs> All right, so my three celebs in lockdown, David Attenborough, because he is, I mean, ironically, given what we've ended up talking about, one of the most enthusiastic people that I think has ever existed. And also I think that connection to nature is more important now than ever before, really. And I'm a bit of a massive nerd. Like I really like learning things about things. So I just think he'd be a great person to just have endless chats with. Um, this person probably won't be recognised by many people, I've just realised, but he's a fellow by the name of Tim Minchin. He's the comedian, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, the comedian. So I'm Australian, he's Australian, and he's one of my favourite comedians. Also, he writes a really intelligent song, like he does comedy through singing and playing music, and I just think he's a bit of a wizard with kind of songwriting, and I think that that could just be really interesting and hilarious, writing songs about lockdown and all sorts of ridiculous things. Also very important to keep laughing, I think, during these times, so comedian is a must. And the other person is Michelle Obama, because I just think she's a badass. I just really like her, and I think she'd be a great person to chat to. <laughs> Right. Well, that sounds like a really nice blend. So you've got home tutoring via David Attenborough, entertainment via Tim Minchin, and inspiration from Michelle Obama. Yeah, I think they'd all be pretty good people to have around. <laughs> sounds like quite a cool mix. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to allow you to take some media in with you. We say media because it might be something you kind of download onto your phone or a tablet. It could be a book, piece of music, film, even a recording of a sporting event. What would you take? I would like to take the box set of original Harry Potter books, but I don't know if a box set is allowed. <laughs> I think you could argue that that's one long journey of discovery, isn't it? Yeah, it's one story. <laughs> and also it's canny and why lots of young people like it, because it's, I suppose, like other writers like Dickens, also about addressing quite challenging issues of adversity. Yeah, that's true. I was telling someone the other day about a job interview that I had when I was first interviewing for teaching jobs. And they asked me, you know, all the regular questions you expect to be asked. And then they asked me what my favourite book was. And I had not at all prepared to have my own opinions in this interview. <laughs> um, and I was so thrown by it. And I really didn't know what to say. And it was a very prestigious school that I was interviewing for. And so I thought I had to have a really intelligent answer. And all I could think of in my panicked state was Harry Potter. But actually, I just decided to roll with it because, do you know what? I was the same age as Harry Potter all through the Harry Potter stories when they were coming out. I just loved it when I was growing up. I really engaged with it and it kind of brought me so much joy when I was growing up. So I stand by it. I think it's good. <laughs> well, I think you'll find yourself in the company of millions. So I don't think there's any problem there. <laughs> then finally, we're going to allow you a luxury. And uh, given your answers so far, there may be a little bit of fuzziness perhaps around this too. <laughs> <laughs> so my luxury is a palette of Montalcino Argiano, <laughs> which is a really beautiful red wine from Tuscany in Italy that I have a little soft spot for that area in particular. And I was there last year and brought home as many bottles of it as I possibly could but sadly it's run out I'm pretty sure I could drink that wine for the rest of time so that would be my luxury <laughs> a 
Okay. The one challenge, I guess, is will you be able to, or prepared, should I say, to share that with Sir David, Tim and Michelle? Do you know what? I'm reflecting and thinking I should have found some people that are teetotal. <laughs> yes, I think a nice collection of Puritans or something like that might have been uh, <laughs> better given your choice of luxury. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that at all. <laughs> but I suspect that could be a drinks party to remember that could sustain you, especially if you start role playing Harry Potter at the same time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like all my dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you so much for giving us your time today to tell us about the amazing work the student room are doing at this time and, you know, just offering that place a bit like you're saying about the Harry Potter books, I think, of something that accompanies you, where there are people that understand where you are and what you're struggling with, but can also have a bit of fun along the way too. So thank you very much, Mari. Thank you very much for having me.